0: Welcome to Innovation Hub, I'm Kara Miller. Sometimes your assumptions have to be turned upside down just to see if they fall apart. And that's what we're about to do. Though this may sound like heresy, Brian Kaplan argues the big problem with our education system is we've got way too much education. Kaplan is a professor of economics at George Mason University, and he's the author of the book, The Case Against Education, Why the Education System is a Waste of Time and Money. Now, we've all heard that people with college degrees way out-earn those with high school degrees. A few years ago, the gap hit a record high. People who finished college earned 56% more than those who didn't. Some experts worry that the options for those without college degrees are dwindling, while the folks at the top are racking up money and opportunities. Brian Kaplan isn't one of those experts. Brian, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So my first question is, uh, you've spent a long time in school. Um, When did this notion first occur to you that maybe as a country we have too much education?
1: I mean, this is going to sound hard to believe, but even in kindergarten, I was quite confused (laughs) by what was going on because we had to study all these subjects where I would say, well, when will I ever use this? I don't understand. And adults would just tell me, well, you needed to get a good job. But then, you know, the longer I stayed in school, the more confused I got. And I said, like, like why would this stuff pay off? Why would studying something that you're never going to use uh, you know, be, be so important for success in the modern world? Mm-hmm. Why is it you've got to do three or four years of foreign language and then not even learn it and then you know, and see that, <laughs> that doors are closed to you unless you do it? it just it was, it was So at least the doubts were there for, for almost as long as I can remember.
0: OK, so but let me ask you the obvious question. You went to school. Something about what was going on in school interested you. You kept going, you went to college, you got a PhD, you teach now economics. Um, if if education worked out so well for you, why do you think other people should be doing less of it?
1: Right, well, I mean, the whole heart of my book is to say there's a big difference between the effect of your education on your life and the effect of education on society. So it's true that uh, you know doing well in school opens up a lot of doors. But the question that I ask in the case against education is why? And what I say is most of it is not that you're learning useful skills that are going to actually raise your productivity. Rather, I say the main reason why school pays is that you're jumping through hoops to impress employers. And so if you do really well, then then you, you know, come out at the end of the hoops and you go, ta-da, look at me, I've got a PhD from Princeton. And employers pay attention to that. But again, the problem socially is that the more education people have, the more you need to not have your application thrown away. So in the book, I spent a lot of time talking about what's called credential inflation, how you need to give more education now to get the same job that your parents or grandparents could have gotten with a lot less. And that seems to really hold up. So it's not just that we have more scientists and computer programmers. We have a lot more taxi drivers and waiters that have college degrees now. And it seems like those degrees, especially for waiters, they open up jobs at better restaurants. But do we really have better waiters than we did in 1950?
0: I wonder to what degree you feel – you know, people always quote these statistics exactly like I did at the beginning saying like people who have college degrees make so much more money than people without college degrees. I wonder how much that is a function of that people who get – and I really genuinely don't know the answer to this question – that people who – Go into college are richer people, like come from richer families than people who tend not to go to college, and so they would have more money in any scenario.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like your intuition's right. So the people that go to college and do well in college tend to be people who are good students in high school, and they probably would have been able to get better jobs eventually anyway. But what's really distinctive about my book is that I say, all right, sure, you know, like, like let's go and take that away, and let's look only at the actual. Genuine causal effect of your education on your career, but I said even then that doesn't mean that that education causes you to make more money because you have more skills. It could also cause you to make more money because you're impressing employers with uh, these credentials. Mm-hmm. So you know, like, like think think about it this way. Uh, Suppose that you could get a fake Harvard diploma, but it's ironclad. No one will ever question it. Okay. I say that uh, is very likely to raise your earnings, open up a lot of doors. It's not an illusion. It really does actually open doors, but it's not because you learned anything there, because in my example, you didn't actually go. You didn't learn anything. You were never at Harvard. But still, just that piece of paper can go and open doors and help your career.
0: Yeah, but you could argue that, like... If somebody is impressed by your fake Harvard diploma, believing that it's a real Harvard diploma, what they're impressed by is the, is the idea that y- you did learn something and that you are a smart person who got into Harvard. I mean, those things are all wrong because you're a fraud. But it, it's not crazy to assume that somebody who went to Harvard is a smart person. Oh, uh,
1: right, right. I mean, again, there's the difference between looking at the Harvard diploma and saying this person's smart and looking at the Harvard diploma and saying Harvard made them smart. Right. So, so in other words, you know, it could be that a smart person who just drops out of who uh, doesn't go to college and gets a job will immediately do well. That's possible. Another possibility is that they go to school and they actually get a lot of job skills. That's possible. And another one, though, is that you go to school and when you finish, employers say, well, you didn't really learn any job skills there, but it would take a pretty special person to finish and do so well. Mm. So let's make that person a job offer. It's these three different stories that people so often jumble together. And really what I try to do in the book is to separate them so clearly that people just can't mix them up anymore and then investigate each one separately.
0: So let's back way up. Let's assume lawmakers came to you and they said... You know, you, maybe you're right about all this education not being that useful. Maybe we are wasting our money. If we wanted more people to succeed, more people to have better lives, uh, more people to have, you know, good and stable careers, how should we spend our money? What, like, what should the education system look like? What should we be doing with 8-year-olds and 18-year-olds?
1: Right. Well, I mean, there's the easy answer, and then I'll give you some more details. So, okay. You know, the, you know, like, the quick answer, I would just say, is less like we're spending way too much on this. And again, you know, we go and we look and we see that if one more person goes to college, they have a better career and say, that shows that it works. But I say that doesn't show that it works. You need to show that if you send a whole generation to college, the whole generation does better. And that's what I say we are definitely not witnessing right now. It's not that it's a great time in the economy because of the amount of education. Really what we're seeing is there's a big difference in success between people with, educa- with, with more education and, and with less. But what we also see is that you need a lot of education now even to get fairly menial jobs. It used to be the idea that a secretary would need a college degree. This would have seemed crazy to people. And now if you're entry level, it's almost required uh, to, you know, just to be a secretary. Mm-hmm. So this is one where we can actually do more with less, right? And, you know, that's, that's where I always start. And I would start there especially because it's such an unpopular thing to say. I'm almost the only one saying it. So I feel like I've got to because no one else will.
0: Cut education funding. Yeah, not your... Not your common mantra in like political campaigns, right. like get let's yeah cut education.
1: Yeah, just just you know cut it and get people have people start life at an earlier age. You know, if someone were to say, all right, well you know be more constructive. Uh, you know, so in the book I also have a chapter on vocational education, which I think is greatly underrated. I mean, I think it's underrated just in terms of how good it is for people's careers because you know we're just so snobbish about things. But I think more importantly, it's just underrated from a social point of view because you know the thing about vocational education is it really does build skills. Right. You know, you go to plumbing classes and you really learn how to be a plumber. And I say that's why it's better than, say, learning a foreign language that you're never going to use on a job, because at least the resources the taxpayer spent training to be a plumber lead you to have more skills that you're going to use. Whereas, you know, the foreign language classes, virtually zero people in America even claim to speak a foreign language very well in school. Mm -hmm. It really is just a sinkhole of resources in that case
0: so so all right two things there one is i guess you're saying i would say to lawmakers if they said here's this pot of money that we currently spend on education it sounds like you're saying take a much bigger chunk of that pot of money and put it towards vocational education so don't don't tell people just you know go out on the street and see what you can do but but learn some real skills and maybe take fewer history and french classes uh,
1: right, yeah, so so you know that that's right. And then something that I think there's a lot more people interested in, but uh, I'll say it too, is just the basic you know, reading reading, writing, and math skills of Americans are shockingly low when you look at the numbers. And it seems very likely that if you just spent more time teaching that stuff to people who haven't mastered it yet, that would be a big payoff uh, for society. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, my, my sons are studying Spanish right now, but when, when I talk to them about how poor the reading and writing skills of the average American are, they're like, Well, why are people learning a second language when they can't do their first? And I'm like, Yeah, you know, from the mouths of babes, you've got that right. Yeah. So you know, like, you know, don't start trying to teach a second language until people uh, can competently read and write.
0: So all right, so let me speak on behalf of Foreign language teachers who I can just hear, like, in their cars rising up and and being concerned. For some languages, I can understand. French, German – I mean, I love French personally, but I, I realize that it's not a, a lot of use to me as I'm going about my day. But Spanish – not only are, are, do tons of countries speak Spanish, and so, like, you can imagine if you were in business and you were trading with different countries, like, that could be very helpful to learn Spanish. There's also tons of people in America who speak Spanish, and those that, like, open – those are markets, you know, like, if, if you, again, work for a business or you sell something or you're in journalism – The ability to speak Spanish, doctors, the ability to speak or nurses, the ability to speak to patients in Spanish. It seems like certain languages, there's a ton of use for those things. Is that. So so here's the key
1: thing. You have to actually learn it. And (laughs) we've got numbers on how successful American foreign language education is on actually causing foreign language fluency. And the answer is less than one percent of Americans even claim to have learned to speak any foreign language very well in school, and this is, of course, their own self-report. So people tend to overstate how much they actually, how good they actually are. Mm. And then, and again, this is not because we spend five weeks on foreign language. You know, it's standard in American high schools to require two or three years. State of California, where I grew up, now you need three years for any of the state colleges. So this is one where we put many years in with almost no results. Hmm. So, I mean, even if the languages were really helpful, we would just say, yeah, well, the, it would be great if the schools could teach it, but they put a, put in a lot of effort and they don't. So there is a lot of waste going on right now. Hmm. Again, you could always say, well, let's, you know, let's figure out how to teach it right. And I say, yeah, that sounds good, but... Given that they've been wasting so much money for so many years, I just don't trust them and Mm. no one should trust them. They should first get their act together, show that they in fact can cause fluency in, in three years, and then maybe consider restoring their funding.
0: So it's not that knowing Spanish or knowing Mandarin, it doesn't have a lot of potential applicability. It's just you're not confident yeah. we, we can transmit Mandarin So I mean, Yeah,
1: so I'd say you know, like you know, Mandarin or Japanese are probably going to give you a bigger payoff in the labor market than Spanish. The main issue with Spanish, is there's so many people who learn it fluently in the home that the jobs that require Spanish are going to go to them first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that makes sense. It's better to go and get someone who can speak it really well and mm-hmm. learn it easily than to go and spend years teaching someone else without the same upbringing this and the other language. It's just you know it's just so hard to do it
0: if we were to switch away from the kind of general education that we have now, do you worry that like fewer people read Shakespeare and uh, you know that tells us Shakespeare tells us a lot about human relationships and what motivates people, or fewer people are going to take history classes and they're not going to know about the American Revolution or the Civil War or the era of Jim Crow, and that, like, they're going to be missing big chunks of our history. I I just wonder if you worry about that sort of thing. Well,
1: in a sense, I do, because I think it would be better if people actually knew this stuff. However, right now, people spend many years allegedly studying this stuff, and yet when you test adults, they know next to nothing. So if you just go and ask Americans, like, what century was the Civil War fought in? Probably under half of Americans can even tell you the century of the Civil War. When you go and just look at how little American adults know, it is puzzling, I'll admit. And then, you know, there's a few possibilities. One is that they never learned it. Hmm. Possible. Another one is that they just forgot it after the test, which I think is another thing that's going on. So it may very well be that on the day of the final exam, people knew a good amount about the Civil War, but they don't retain it. Right. And again, you know, this, this is one of the best established facts in psychology. People forget what they do not practice, and they forget it at a high rate. don't listening to this, if you really just think about your own educational experience, how much of what you've studied do you still remember? Mm-hmm. It's just so low. So again, when people say, aren't you worried about a, a living in an historically literate society? So yeah, I'm in one. <laughs> so yeah, I'm worried. But I'm not worried that my reforms are going to make things noticeably worse because we're we're near zero. Hmm.
0: We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk more with Brian Kaplan, a professor of economics at George Mason University. He's the author of The Case Against Education, Why the Education System is a Waste of Time and Money. And when we return, more about what a reimagined system might look like, what employers really want, and whether colleges are actually starting to lose their power in the marketplace. From WGBH Radio and PRI, I'm Carol Miller, and this is Innovation Hub. Back right after this. Brian Kaplan has a theory, and it's this a lot fewer Americans should go to college. Why? Well, a few reasons. For one, people learn on the job.
1: People learn on the job. So really, most of what education is, is it's a passport to the world of the real training. So you go and spend all these years studying stuff you don't need to know, finally get your diploma, and then this allows you to get a job where they actually teach you how to do a job.
0: Another reason is that most of us don't remember what we learned in school. And most of that information hasn't been part of our jobs anyway. Kaplan, a professor of economics at George Mason University, believes we're living in a time of rampant degree inflation, where employers want to see degrees just to see them, not because they necessarily prove anything. Even in a profession like software engineering, where you'd think, well, you could just put your skills on display whether or not you've earned a diploma. That's not exactly
1: how it works. It's just deviant to not go to college. And then firms are very reluctant to go and hire the self-taught programmers, at least for the good
0: jobs. Kaplan is the author of the book, The Case Against Education, Why the Education System is a Waste of Time and Money. And he'll admit, as right as he thinks he is, it doesn't mean employers agree with him.
1: So again, actually, another sign that a lot of the reason why education pays is not that you're learning skills, but that you are getting credentials, is that most of the payoff for college comes from graduation. So you could do 3.999 years, right? You're one Aristotle class short of graduation. And still, all the jobs where you need a college degree don't open up for you. And yet you do that one last Aristotle class, and then, you know, it's like the clouds open up. Oh, there's great jobs for you available. And that's probably, you know, the very biggest issue is people often go and compare people who successfully finish college to people that don't try. And I say, you know, like you want, you want to go and compare people who try to get a degree to people who don't try and then see how that works out for them. Hmm. I often compare this to evaluating the profitability of a bank by looking at how much money you make on the loans that get repaid. It's like, yeah, well, you probably want to look at the loans that don't get repaid before you decide that your bank's doing well.
0: So is there any sign that that kind of, you know, when you say like you can have done all your college classes up until about April 15th of graduation year and then and then you decide, yeah, I'm done with this. This is stupid. Even if you got A's on everything, but you never finish those final classes, you just never complete them uh, and you don't get that degree, you know, it, it could be that everything you've worked for. All these doors start to close, even though we could all agree that, like, well, you've done almost all the learning that there, ha- you know, that you were going to do in your college career. There's only a month left, and I-, I just wonder, could we be moving towards more of a credential system? I remember talking to Sal Khan years ago, who started Khan Academy, and he talked about maybe in the future. We'd be heading towards people really looking at individual, like, modular credentials you have. Right, like Like,
1: like micro badges. Yeah,
0: like, I know how to do C++ programming, or I know this, or I know that. Not like, you know, I went to UVA, period.
1: Yeah, so that kind of thing already exists to some degree, but there's no sign that it is even taking much of a dent out of regular higher education. So almost 10 years ago, I actually had a bet with some professors who were worried that they were going to lose their jobs. So, all right, let's have a bet that the share of 18 to 24-year-old Americans that are enrolled in traditional four-year colleges will fall by no more than 10%. So basically, I win if 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 it stays the same or there's a moderate fall. And they would win if there's more than a 10 percent fall in the share of young Americans attending four-year colleges.
0: Were they worried about the rise of credentialing? Is that what they were concerned about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, okay. they were
1: worried that the online education is going to put them out gotcha. of business, basically. All right. So as we stand right now, the, for the last available year, actually the share of young Americans that are in traditional four-year colleges is even higher than when the bet started. Mm. All right. Now, what in the world is going on? Why is it that traditional four-year college is doing so well when online education seems superior in so many ways? And my story here is that a lot of what you are getting the credential for, a lot of what you are convincing employers of with your college degree, is just that you're a conformist sheep, that you're doing what society expects of you. Mm-hmm. And again, employers are not dumb to care about this. I know a lot of people who are smart, who are hardworking, but they're defiant and i love these people they're some of my best friends but i do not wish to employ these defiant people <laughs> they're just too, they're just too hard to deal with they, you know they're fun but they do not work well with others and if you're running a business that's important to you you're like you can't just have the genius who does whatever he feels like it just doesn't work
0: let me go back to the vision that you have even if right now it's a kind of um like for you, a kind of utopian vision that isn't about to be realized, but like assuming every governor in the country is tuning in, um, you know, would you track people like, you know, Germany, for example, tracks kids pretty early on. Would you sort of early on say, well, you know, I think it's better for you to head towards a trade school and I think it's better for you to do this. And like, how would this work in practice?
1: Yeah, definitely. So the German system is uh, much misunderstood in the United States. It's not really true that they actually give you a test and then if you get a lower score, say, you know, tough dog for you, you're going to be a minor. There actually is flexibility, and if your parents say, "I don't like the fact that you're not letting him do the academics uh, because of the test," let him go. The German system does allow you to do that. It's not actually nearly as rigid as Americans think. But again, you know, like the basic idea of trying to get a reasonable prediction about what someone likes and is good at, and then Training them for that from from a young age uh, you know, makes a lot of sense to me. The most sensible objection to vocational education people have is when you're 12, it's too young to say you're going to be an auto worker. You, you, know, you need to explore. Uh-huh. And I say, you yeah, know, that's great. But how about we go and explore 20 realistic options for two weeks each when you're 12 years old and then start trying to narrow it down rather than teaching everybody to be a future poet or historian or scientist, uh, you know, doing that through all through middle school and high school, even when we know that the odds are astronomically low for many kids that that will ever happen. And, you know, so of course, you know, Americans love the story of the one person that no one thought could succeed, who then somehow wins a Nobel Prize. And you know, those are great stories, but you can't live your life that way. At least it doesn't make sense to try to live your life that way. You've got to go and try to get a forecast of what's likely to occur. I realize that you know it's there's a great hit to the pride of America to say, look, well, we think this kid isn't going to be president, and you know maybe he should be a mechanic. But again, if you actually care about the kids, you got to swallow your pride and say, look, let's go with the numbers.
0: Well, it sounds like you're saying. Uh for example, to use the Germany example, that you you like the idea of kind of tracking people earlier, maybe with some flexibility in it, but, but earlier on saying maybe you're headed in a vocational direction if, if that's what you like. Um, and I have to say, I mean, you know, as somebody who has done a lot of stories on um, – uh, sort of uh, high-tech manufacturing, Germany is often pointed out as a place that produces people who work in manufacturing and nevertheless those people make sixty, seventy thousand dollars 70000 a year because they are so knowledgeable about the manufacturing they do, they can do very like highly skilled manufacturing.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like another big lesson of psychology is that people get good at things by practicing the very things they're going to do. So the idea that you can go and study poetry for years and then this will expand your mind and teach you how to learn and then you'll become a great mechanic is just nonsense. <laughs> the way you become a great mechanic is by doing mechanics. The way, you be, you know, like, just like the way you become a great poet, is by writing poetry and a lot of it bad until you until you improve. So there is sort of a, like a recurring thing that I hear from other economists saying, "Ah, oh, well, the German system—it's not as good because it doesn't teach people general skills." And how always say, "Look." The American system is terrible at teaching these general skills. Like, you know, if you just look at like, you know, reading and writing and math, and then most of the other stuff that we're teaching, you know, like foreign language is not a general skill. You know, poetry is not a general skill. It's a highly specific skill for a job almost nobody has. You know, even though the future is uncertain, it still makes sense to try to train people for a reasonable guess of the future. If there's one thing we know about the future, it's that poetry will not be a major occupation.
0: <laughs> not that we know about anyway.
1: <laughs> I'll just go and put a lot of money saying there's no, there's no way 10% of Americans are going to become paid poets in the future. Like No way.
0: Do you worry at all that it, it, it leads to this kind of bifurcation where like people who don't have as much money do practical things and people who have a lot of money study poetry or maybe that is already the case?
1: Yeah. Well, I just say it's already the case. I mean, sometimes people say, wouldn't this cause a class society? And like, look around. We're in a class society. It's really a question of what is the most sensible way to go and spend taxpayer resources here. And then, of course, part of that is trying to figure out what could actually be practically done. I mean, and so I say one thing that practically can be done is just reducing the number of kids who end up in jail. You know, I say that's the worst part of our class society. You know, it's striking to me people get worked up over like there's a certain there's these billionaires and that's bad. Like, how about like all the people who are in jail?
0: Since you wrote the case against education, have you heard from any politicians or people in positions of power who have given you any sense that this is interesting to them and they would consider baby steps towards a monumental change in education?
1: Right. So I've heard from quite a few uh, actually very influential people who don't want me to name them saying they think it's interesting. Uh, but <laughs> that doesn't mean they're going to do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, I rem- remember once I gave a talk with a prominent education politician or slash bureaucrat. You know, the person was engaged, and yet, you know, the next day on Twitter saying the same usual stuff. So all right, well, I mean, if if I had an effect, it's a it is a covert effect. <laughs> By the way, so you know, you mentioned you know, a lot of these ideas being utopian. I mean, what I tell people is, look, I'd be happy if my book caused education spending to be cut by 1%. If I could do that, that would be, in my mind, a miraculous achievement to have moved the education budget of the whole United States by 1%. But
0: wouldn't that money have to go towards something pre- like just cutting the money and spending it on, I don't know, you know, gleaming glass towers wouldn't be enough. Like, wouldn't you want the money toward to go towards something you thought was effective for those kids?
1: Well, let's see. I mean, I don't know why. So, you know, like, it may be that we just don't have anything that's more effective for the kids. This is, you know, a, a general point about personal finance. If you find out that you're wasting your money on, say, a toenail fungus cream... This does not mean that you should then go and, and spend it on some other toenail fungus remedy. Maybe none of them are very good. Right? You know, why not just do an open-minded reconsideration of where the money goes? So, psychologist Daniel Kahneman talks about mental budgeting. It's this idea that money should only be moved within an account, and I don't see why. So, you know, like to me, like an obvious thing is just deficit reduction. I mean, like, you know, like we've got severe deficits as far as the eye can see. Um, like, you know, like we are uh, going to, going to reach a severe financial crisis if we keep doing what we're doing. So, you know, like any, any way that we can just go and get that deficit
0: down seems to me to be a good idea. Finally, uh, do you think your own kids are going to go to college or maybe you already have kids that are that age?
1: Well, my older two sons want to be professors. (laughs) So they see, they see my job and they say, yeah, this looks like a great, great gig. So again, yeah, well like like I just try to be very honest with my kids and say in school you have to learn a lot of stuff that in real life you're never going to use again. However, the way the world works is that if you don't do well on the in these seemingly meaningless tasks, the uh, like the labor market will hold it against you. And certainly if you want to be a professor, there's a very rigid path that you have to follow if you want to go and get a job, which you know, which is the one that I followed. And again, you know, like you know, what I'll say is, look, you're my kids, so I'm going to give you advice for how you can succeed in this unfair world. I'm not going to go and tell you to throw yourself on your swords uh, for the sake of of you know like making some token change to the degree of credential inflation. So like my older kids uh, definitely. For my younger kids, you know, like I'll try to advise them the same way I would advise anyone, based upon what is best for them as an individual. So, you know, a lot of it is, you know, if they're doing well in high school, then they're likely to be able to graduate from college. And then I think it makes a, makes a great career sense for them to do it. And on the other hand, if they're getting C's and D's in high school, then I really will be saying, all right, well, this isn't working for you. I think we got to after I tell you to work harder for the 10th time and you don't, then maybe we need to go and look at some vocational options and see if we can find something you like and are good at I don't, I don't believe in, in just uh, supporting kids for their whole lives uh, in, in my basement. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm old school enough to be against that. Got I know it. there's some other parents that are cool with it, but I'm not.
0: <laughs> Brian Kaplan is professor of economics at George Mason University. He's the author of the book, The Case Against Education, Why the Education System is a Waste of Time and Money. Brian, thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much. It's been great fun.
0: And if you want to know more about micro-credentialing, which some hope will be a way to cobble together an education more cheaply, quickly, and easily, we've got info about it on our website, innovationhub.org.